Katie Heckle, if it's all been said to you. All right. The reason you don't have a spouse, <clears throat> reason, that's always a good start. The reason you don't have a spouse is because you're not fully satisfied with God. <laughs> Ouch. So I have to work my place into a place where I can have a relationship. Okay. Be the person God made you to be and focus on that. Then your spouse will come when you least expect it. When you least expect it. Is that timing guaranteed? Um, you have to fully love Jesus before you can fully love a spouse. Well, I know a lot of married people who don't fully love Jesus. And obviously you're seeing these are things I probably didn't say to the people that were saying these things. You probably didn't either. But maybe we should. Um, you just need to focus more on God, and then he will give you a spouse. So my focus on God equals receiving a spouse. What scripture verse is that found in? Hmm. Singleness is a gift, says the married woman that married at the age of 22, talking to the 33-year-old single. <laughs> well, I'll keep the receipt. Thank you very much. Um, God will bring him or her to you in his timing. So is God matchmaker? Is he? Are you married? No, no, ma'am, I'm not. Oh, I'm going to pray for you to find a husband. Okay, thanks. I didn't ask her to pray for me, but thank you. Okay. Um, someone pays you the compliment. I just don't understand how someone as great as you are single because it has anything to do with greatness, right? Oh, thanks. Me either. Um, and then to justify a, like a month-long sermon series, the pastor stands up and he says, all right, mood, single people, listen up. This applies to you too when you get married. When you get married? What about if you get married? What if you don't get married? I mean, can, can a relationship talk not benefit a single person in their single state right now? I mean, really? Okay, thanks for playing the game with me. Uh, I'm sure you, there's been other statements that have been said to you, and you can probably tell you're probably frustrated just like me within our culture's approach on singleness and how we handle single, singleness as well as the church's approach to singleness like it's some kind of disease or something that needs to be fixed. I mean, what these statements are is they're prescription statements. Like, I'm not coming to you asking for a prescription to my singleness. Why do we treat single people like they're plagued or they're, like, left, they're, they're, they're less than or they're marginalized? I mean, can't a single person have find fullness and wholeness right as they are? I mean, wasn't it Jesus who was actually single or Paul that was single? Or there's several others that are single um, that had a full life. I mean, why do we give these prescription statements like they're going to be true comfort to us anyways? So 
I've been frustrated, but I'm working through it, and I'm helping to re-educate. And uh, the thing that brings me joy is that I get to speak to people like you um, that are mostly single people in this room. I mean, we there's mostly singles in here. You're either single by choice or single by circumstance, or you're single yet dating, or you're single but engaged. I mean, all of these things fall under the singleness category. Uh, there are two relationship status markers today, and it is that you are either single or you're married. You don't check the box that says single yet looking, single yet dating, single. I mean, those things don't exist. You're still supposed to be single and live as a single until you say, I do, and then you are married. It gives me a lot of joy to speak from this place, but it's, it's also hard because it's personal. I feel a little personal with this. It's, I'm a 33 single female in ministry striving for fullness that happens to be single and is still hoping for marriage one day. But getting to talk to you is such a good thing. So this is the thing. We tend to associate singleness with aloneness. Like if I'm not in a relationship, then I'm alone. I'm single. But why is that the case? I mean, why do we put all of our um, eggs in this basket of the significant other is this highest, you know, relationship, this highest um, person that we most desire? I mean, you've got a lot of significant other people in your life, from friends to roommates to parents to classmates to churchmates. I mean, tons of people that are speaking truth and that you're living a full life with. Why does this dating person get all the significance? And if we're not dating, then we're alone. Anybody with me? You feeling any of that with me? I don't know why we do that. Um, We don't need to put so much of our significance. We need to see the significance that other people um, bring to our lives. And we need to remove the negativity that is associated with singleness. Because for every single one of us in this um, room tonight, for a portion of our life, we will be single. Raise your hand if you are not single. That's right. Hugh and Linda? Holly and Ethan aren't here. Okay, Hugh and Linda. (laughs) Mr. Fred. They are the only ones that are not single. I, you, you should be. We're singling you out right now. The rest of us, raise your hand if you're single. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Beautiful thing. And the thing is, we will be single for an extended a season of time um, within the life. This is how, how God has, has created it. You don't get born and then get married. I mean, that's just not how it works. You're going to be single for a season of your life. Um, and singleness is not an extended uh, season of adolescence. It's not a time for uh, self-indulgence in your life and permission to just do what you want to do. Singleness is not a punishment, though some might think it is. Um, it is not for a pursuit of career or ambition where you push off marriage just so you can get ahead in your field of work. It's not that. And it's also not a preparatory phase of getting your act together so that if or when you get married, that you are ready. That's just wasted singleness, friends. Um, Now, I just wonder how you're doing within your singleness. So I wonder how this statement would be true within you. If you could say, if you can say this statement, let's just see. Could you say that I am satisfied, content, fulfilled within my singleness and would describe my attitudes and behaviors healthy within it. Would we be able to say that about ourselves? 
Um, and I think that there's probably several of you that can say yes, yeah, some, sometimes yes. But for most of us, the answer is probably, um, I'm working on it and I need to move out of this unhealthy uh, version of singleness to a healthy, fully living person who is single. Tonight. Let's do it tonight, folks. Tonight, I want us to look at things that might be hindering us within our singleness. I want to look at what Jesus has to say about singleness And then I want to look at how to move into the fullness that Jesus has to offer with us as a single person. So first up, what hinders us within our singleness? And the first thing that comes to my mind is that our our culture's unhealthy elevation of relationship hinders us. We live in a culture that is obsessed with the relationship status and puts it as our purpose to, to, to be running after being in a relationship. It elevates it higher than anything else. It says the purpose of this life is to find someone to marry. Would you agree our our culture puts it at that elevation? And the thing is, the Bible never says that the purpose of your life is to find someone to marry. The Bible does say that marriage is good, but it doesn't say that it is the purpose. You know, you walk into Kroger and you're in the checkout line and you see those like magazine titles. Last week I saw one that said 10 things to get you out of your singleness and into a dating relationship. 10 things. We can just narrow it down to that. If we just read it, then I'm sure we'll all be in a relationship. I'm sure that's how it works. I also heard, I was watching an interview um, on the Good Morning Show with my mom a couple weekends ago and Oprah was on. And, uh, you know, people go crazy about Oprah. And they were going crazy, and Oprah said this. She said, if you just speak it into the universe, it will come to be. If you can speak that you want a relationship to be in your life, it will come. And I just thought, oh, Oprah. Oh, she's missing it. She missed it, and she just told that to all the people that follow her. Oh, gosh. Friends, you can't speak it into existence. It doesn't work like that. Um, you know, our culture just continues to be obsessed from, from all the dating apps. I tried to Google how many dating apps there were. Don't do it because what comes up is not great. Um, but there's literally a dating app for anything that you want and desire. There's a hookup, the hookup dating apps. There's friends with benefits dating apps. There's one night stand dating apps. There's dating and looking for marriage dating apps. I mean, there are so many. You can, you'll, you would probably teach me. I don't quite know, but your thumb will get tired eventually. I don't think that's the best way of finding the, a relationship. And then just our culture centered around romanticizing, like movies, you know, when Tom Cruise looks at Renee Zellweger and says, you complete me. You know it. You know it. We've grown up with these movies that are just centered around this romanticizing relationships. And then the TV shows. Mm. The, oh, that one, Truth. The Bachelor. The Bachelorette. I'm stepping on some toes. Friends, super unhealthy ways of seeing relationships beginning to form. Why do we support them by watching them? Why is it entertaining to us? Before you know it, all of these things, they have rubbed off on you, and somehow they have added, like, and molded things into you and shaped your heart in a way that was never meant to be shaped. Um, 
These things affect us and shape us, even when we don't intend for them to. And because of their influence, soon we've made an idol out of relationships or out of marriage. And we've elevated our greatest desire in this life to have a romantic relationship. And we even run the risk of placing our identity into that relationship. There's a temptation to live centered on this desire. um, And this desire can even seep into your identity. Like, if you're not dating anybody, then who are you? Oh, if you're not dating anybody, then what's wrong with you? Then, Then it's like a personal. It's like pointing to something that's wrong with you if you're not dating somebody. But your identity doesn't come from a significant other. It comes from the one who created you. Singleness is a status. It's not an identity. Have you ever had the thought, well, once I'm in a relationship, then I'll fill in the blank. Once I'm married, then I'll start living. Then I'll feel worthy. Then I'll feel content. Then I'll feel fulfilled. Once I'm in a relationship, then I'll feel satisfied. When we associate contentment, happiness, self-worth, fulfillment uh, with someone that we're dating or with someone that we marry, then we run the risk of losing ourselves when that person fails us or when the relationship ends. And if this is the approach to the dating or to marriage by looking for someone to fulfill a need or a a desire, not only will it not be sustained, it will cause you to miss out on the beauty of singleness and what God might even have for you within it. If I'm not fulfilled within my singleness, then marriage will deeply disappoint me. Desiring marriage is a good and healthy thing, but being consumed by that desire is not. God does not promise a spouse out of this life. He doesn't. It's not guaranteed. We need to focus less on our relationship status and more on our redemption status and focus on what God does promise us. He promises joy. He promises intimacy with him. He promises comfort and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He promises everlasting life. These are the things that make us who we are, and these are the things we should set our hope into, not a relationship. Another thing that hinders us is a lack of clarity within, I'm just going to call it relationship theology. Like, is God a matchmaker? Is God um, in control of my relationship status? Is God in control of your relationship status? Am I single because of God? Are Hugh and Linda married because of God? Um, does God bring two people together, like orchestrate your world around another person so that eventually y'all find each other and meet? I mean, our culture at times talks like that's truth. And friends, at times, God does work in that kind of way. He has this meticulous way of, at times, working like that. But other times, people find people because they're in a right place at a right time, not because God you know, held this, them at this stop sign and held them at this other place and then magically made it happen like the movies make it happen. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just meet a person because you're there and you're going through life together and that's a really beautiful thing. But sometimes maybe he does. Maybe he does bring people together. I mean, there's confusion here with a lot of questions, and the, I wish I had a lot of clarity to give. I'm sorry that this talk is not going to answer all of these questions for you. Um, 
I also know that at times God does call people into singleness. And I also know that at times people feel like they're called to, to, to enter into singleness for a prolonged time, maybe even the rest of their life. But then I also know that sometimes people are single due to circumstances. Like maybe they haven't met the person that they like want to meet to spend the rest of their life with. I mean, maybe. Maybe they just haven't met the person. <laughs> maybe that's why. <laughs> right, Lord? Maybe. All right. Here's what I do know. I do know that marriage is a gift. It's a gift to all of us. Not all of us will marry, but we reap in the goodness of those who get married, right? Like, you are a result because two people got married, and uh, here you are, which is a beautiful thing. I'm really, I'm really glad that you're all here. There is goodness, and the world reaps that goodness from marriage. But singleness is also a gift. It's a gift to all of us. And we reap the goodness of when you are in a single season and you're following the Lord in that season. And also when there's a prolonged singleness, when someone says, I feel like I'm called to be single. Oh, that's awesome. We need to learn to celebrate that and learn the language to, to, to use to encourage that single person. Also, there's just one more thing I want to say. Uh, based on scripture, God doesn't make you in twos. You're not like Noah and the ark and the animals that come, and then like that's you enter into marriage and union together. Like you're not made in twos. That's Greek mythology. There's a whole like you can learn and study. I don't even know. It came out of that. You're not made in twos. Therefore, you don't have a soulmate. You don't have a soulmate. And also, um, there's, there's not the one. There's not the one. The one becomes the one when you choose to marry the one. That's how the one works. It doesn't work other ways than that. Like the person you're dating probably isn't the one. There could probably be a lot of ones, but you choose that one and then they become the one. You get me? <laughs> All right. Awesome. So wherever there is lack of clarity, apply known truth. Whether that's biblical and beyond, all truth is from God. He says, apply truth to the area that lacks clarity so that the aspects of the situation that we do have clarity on are honored. So we can trust the Lord and trust the Holy Spirit as we res respond faithfully, even when we don't have the answer. And we can trust the Holy Spirit to also guide us and correct us when we're choosing something that we shouldn't be choosing. That's a beautiful thing. So another thing that uh, affects and hinders us within our singleness is our own perspective of singleness. I think we often treat singleness like it's an elevator ride, you know, just like this temporary, um, necessary interlude to a de desired destination. Uh, we endure it, but we don't celebrate it. We're just like waiting for the doors to open. Have you ever been in that elevator where you're just like, there's too many people in this place and like I'm uncomfortable and the... You're just waiting for the doors to open so that you can finally get out of it. I think that's how we approach singleness a lot. We're just waiting for the doors to open so we can, like, I'm going to jump out. I'm not walking. I'm running. I'm, I'm peace out of this place. So if that's our perspective, that's going to hinder our season of singleness. Joy Beth Smith says this. She says, singleness is not just simply a season to be weathered, a waiting room, or a holding cell. It's not temporal by design, and it doesn't exist only to usher you into something greater. Singleness is a valid life stage, one in which you can experience joy, spiritual growth, and fulfillment as any married person. Paul, who was single, offered all kinds of relationship advice, and he said that it came from, in 1 Corinthians 7, it came from his wisdom and understanding that the Lord gave him. And he says, as long as you are single, 
remain single. Like he encourages it. This would have been like mind-blowing at the time, and we'll talk a little bit more about the culture and context in a bit. But he says, remain as you are because singleness is a gift. Paul recognized the gift that came with singleness. Does our view of singleness reflect Paul's view of singleness? Do we view it like it's a gift, or do we view it like a burden that we're trying to get out of and unpack and leave at the door as soon as we can? That will affect our view of singleness. Today's statistics suggest that the majority of you in this room will, in fact, be single. So, I mean, married. (laughs) Everyone got really tense for a second and then, no, sorry. The majority of you will be married. Yes, it does. The statistic says this. But what's changed over the years is the fact that um, you will marry at an, a much older age than previous generations. Okay, so the average age for females getting married right now is 27. And the average, I know, 27. You've got time, folks. And the average age for men is 29. Okay. And um, this, this probably doesn't reflect the South as much because we have our own you know, stigmas and needs and and things. But this is across the United States, right? So, um, and and also what what I found out is that by the time you're 50, one out of every four of you will have been single by choice or circumstance um, for their whole life. And that's something that is the statistic has changed, which is crazy. Okay, Jessica just gave a face. (laughs) Jessica responded like this. Like, she didn't want that. I mean, that's our, Jessica, thank you. Everyone else was feeling that too. They just didn't respond that way. I mean, that, why is this our natural response to that, the idea that singleness could be like that bad? I mean, friends, it's okay to desire marriage. Please don't hear me even like talking negative about marriage. Marriage is a gift. We're going to talk more about marriage in this, this series, but singleness is tonight. So we're, that's where we're here um, tonight. Uh, one out of every four will stay single. And because our culture doesn't know how to celebrate singleness, all of us, um, there's a lot of anxiety around being single. And um, singles today, John Tyson says this about singles today, that, that they're a widow of some sorts, uh, needing to be listened to and needing a framework of how to fit into the Christian family. Singles today don't know where they fit in. They don't know where they fit in in this Christian culture, and they don't know where they fit in in the church. They feel out of place. Some questions that singles are wrestling with are these. You know, what does it mean to abstain from sex while respecting sexual wiring? What does it mean to be content in one's singleness while longing for marriage? Can I be sexual without a spouse? Is a spouse something I can keep hoping for and looking for? If I'm going to marry this person anyways, can I go ahead and live with them and, and have sex with them? Can I join an online dating app? I mean, these are the things that, that, that you guys are asking, that we're asking these questions. And, and we need the church to speak up, to be able to speak truth into this more than ever, especially since there's this prolonged stage of singleness that's going to be happening. But there's a lack of relationship theology and there's a lack of communication when it comes to the church and communicating these things. So we hope to do this within our series. Um, Our culture needs a better attitude and we need a better attitude. But because we're uncomfortable within our singleness, we try to avoid it. Um, In John 4, Jesus sat with the woman at the well and he did did something. He called something out of her and he said, you've had 5,000... You've had five husbands, and the man you are, 
You have had five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. If you knew who it was that was speaking to you, then you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. What Jesus was saying is that you are looking for satisfaction, for deep soul thirst in the arms of men in all the wrong places, and you cannot find it there. You have misdiagnosed your need. Can we relate to her? Have we not misdiagnosed our need at times? Instead of looking for Jesus for contentment and satisfaction and wholeness and fullness within our singleness, we've tried to avoid it. We've masked it uh, with other things that are temporary filling us up. Our culture's changed its attitude towards sex and marriage, and we've adopted this casual view of sex that's been disconnected from its original, intended, sacred, protected place within the marriage relationship. Hugh nailed it last week when he said this. He said, the Bible's vision of sex is that sex is so sacred that marriage is the only place that can sustain that kind of relationship. And because of this, marriage gets desanctified as sex becomes refocused on freedom, selfish sensuality, and preference. We have misplaced our need and are trying to fill the voids in our life with temporary fixes. We've traded intimacy for promiscuity and for what was meant to bring wholeness now creates holes in us. There is a space within us that hungers to be filled that no one can fill but God. And we are in need of our own meeting of Jesus at the well where he can call out our own brokenness and he can speak living water truth to us and then we need to leave changed because of it. We are in need of this scenario to happen in our own lives. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 19 about singleness. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but Jesus is talking about divorce here. And his uh, disciples make a comment saying, if this is the case, it's better not to marry, exclamation point. And maybe they were thinking that Jesus would respond and say, no, 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 one should marry. Maybe, yeah, they, they should. No, he didn't. He said, not everyone can accept this statement. He said, only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So Jesus is talking about eunuchs, and you might not know what a eunuch is, but he says that there, there are some people that are born as eunuchs, meaning that Jesus had an awareness of a sexual minority, of people who were born with sexual deformity. He said some were made into eunuchs, meaning that um, whether they were castrated or not, they were made to fulfill a specific role where they were serving. Most eunuchs served in the royal eastern household where they would be keepers of the bedchamber. And so whether they were castrated or not, they were called to singleness for duty. And then Jesus says that there are those who choose to remain single for the sake of serving God. This was revolutionary during this time. We don't know how revolutionary this was, but for just a second, let me take you back. The Old Testament, if you were participating in the covenant life with God, then you had land with a family and offspring. These were the visible images of, the, of a blessing with, with God. And single people had no status in society. Uh, they, that's why men would often take on multiple wives and why God commanded us to look after the widows. They couldn't even imagine life as a eunuch, let alone someone who chose to be single. Eunuchs were excluded from the community and they had no share in Israel's holiness and were considered marginal in God's kingdom. But Jesus, 
does what he does best. He comes on the scene and he changes it. He says, I know you've understood it this way, but now I'm saying to be and live like a eunuch now. I'm blessing people who remain single. He's blessing them. And it's connected back to a, bless, to a blessing in Isaiah 56. Starting at verse 3, it says, And don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commits their lives to me. I will, give them I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one and it will never disappear. Single people have become treasured members of a royal household. Singles are blessed in their faithfulness to the Lord and get an eternal inheritance. Fully blessed by God even without a family. The coming of Jesus has changed the nature of singleness in the world. The New Testament no longer interprets the only mandate um, to be for humans to marry and have children and have land. There's a new mandate that Jesus is, has formed, and it's to have spiritual children, to, to, to live in the kingdom of God and to bring the good news to all the land. Remember that Jesus was single after all. God visits earth, and he comes as a single man, gracing the status with all honor. So Jesus says, the one that can accept this should accept it. And the Greek word for accept means to make space to consider the possibility. Jesus says, make space to consider this possibility of singleness. Whether that space is for a temporary season or for a prolonged period of time or for the rest of your life, make space to consider the possibility of singleness for the impact of the kingdom of God. So I want to close by looking at um, what brings fullness in our life um, within our singleness. How do we live into this fullness? And the first thing is this. It's devotion to God. Devotion to God. Uh, this is, the, is this the word that you would describe right now is the word that describes your relationship with the Lord as devotion? Devotion means to be close beside, to tend to desires, to be attentive. Um, what can devotion look like? It can look like this, attentive to his word and attending to his work. John Tyson describes devotion as this, study and service within the pursuit of intimacy with him. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35, I'm just writing, I'm just reading what he said to the unmarried men and women. He said, I want you to be free from concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend this time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him. And an unmarried woman can be devoted to the Lord and in, in holy in body and spirit. There is a unique freedom within the stage of singleness where you can devote yourself to God in a way that is, that is unique and different than married people. I didn't say better. I just said different than married people. I wonder if, if, if there's... There's part of you that's still aching to know more of God. If, if you might take this time within your singleness to search and ask questions and, and to devote yourself to the teachings of, of the Lord now, you can still do this when you're married. It's just that your time will look different than, than, it, than it does when you're single versus when you're married. And the second thing is this, to make a unique difference for the kingdom within your singleness. Because there's a freedom and there's an availability for single people um, to, to step into, then there's a gift for, 
for you to make a difference that's different than married people make with time and with impact and the things that you get to do. I recognize that if I had gotten married in college and then my whole life probably would have changed. I probably wouldn't have gone to Ghana and lived for a year because I wouldn't have had the availability to go and do that. And if kids came on the scene, then I wouldn't have been able to, to do that. I mean, life just would have looked different. Not better, but just different. I would serve the Lord differently. But I'm so grateful for a season in Ghana and the, the impact that it's had in my life. Um, our attitude needs to change for singleness. I wonder if there's a place where you can make a difference in the world, something that breaks your heart that you might step into and say, I can do something about this, and I'm more available right now to do that, and I'm going to carry myself into this. I wonder if there's that impact for you. And then the last thing that Paul talks about is being free from distraction. Uh, married folks are distracted. Single people are distracted. I mean, this world is distracting, but Paul writes that there is a, this is a unique season in your life where you are called to be and not live in distraction. And the, distraction from all kinds of things. But there's a unique season and a place for us to, to, to strive after our relationship with the Lord. Um, and he calls us to do that. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, 35, um, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. This is Paul's vision of singleness. Do what you can to serve the Lord and stay single. If you can stay single, he says, it's even better because then you'll be able to serve the Lord without distractions. I mean, he, Paul knows that life, there, there are still going to be distractions, but there's something different. He's comparing it to a, a, a married woman and a married man and their responsibility to each other and to their children and to the Lord. I mean, your, your time is divided, but as a single person, you're responsibility, responsible for your time and what you do with it. And if you offer that time to God, oh, the beauty that will come, the beauty that will come. The coming of Jesus changed the nature of singleness in our world today. Has it changed your attitude about it? Has it changed my attitude? Desiring marriage is a good thing, and we celebrate it. And if marriage comes for us, what a wonderful celebration that will be. But if we remain single, what a wonderful celebration that will be in its own self. At times, it's not easy. And I know at times I've felt lonely and I've felt the weight of the waiting, you know, and waiting for that prayer to be answered. But there's a statement that's been, I've been leaning into recently that I want to be true and I want to leave you with this. The statement is this, God means more to me than my need for my relationship to be more than it is. God means more to me than my need for my relationship to be more than it is. And some days that's truer than other days. And so I pray, Lord, let this be true today. Would you make space for the possibility of what God might do for you in this unique season and what he might do for the community around you? And maybe you're, right now you're like, oh, I'm in a dating relationship and this, I don't really know how to, I'm dating somebody, so they're special. And okay, yes, but everything applies what I just said to your, to who you are now, whether you're dating or you're single, we'll come up with something better. I know we will. But um, we'll have more on dating and marriage in the weeks to come. So come back. Um, our hope cannot be tethered to 
a relationship status. You know that song, my hope is built on nothing less than not a relationship, not marriage, not a season to serve in Africa, not getting the job I want to get. My hope is built on nothing less than what? Right. Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the but in, in whose name? On Christ the solid, all other ground is, all other ground is. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray over my friends, my mostly single friends, and I pray that within our singleness, Lord, that we would see the beauty of you, that we would see our singleness as purpose and as meaningful and as significant for whatever season that we have, that we would live into it in fullness, not lacking, but living out of the fullness that's found only in you. Father, would you bring things up to our heart and speak truth to us as we process and as we examine our hearts. Father, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.